A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Welcome to Unscrewed, the show that knows that real liberation includes sexual liberation. I am your host, Jacqueline Friedman, and this week we are going to talk about sex and sex work and porn. In case you weren't feeling uncomfortable enough already, we're going in! (laughs) Does porn make people uncomfortable, Jacqueline? What?! And that dulcet tone you just heard is from my amazing guest, Tina Horn, who is a writer, an advocate. She writes the amazing comic, Safe Sex. If you have not read that already, you have an exciting treat ahead of you and your comic book store may well be delivering. And also hosts the fantastic podcast, Why Are People Into That? Tina, thank you for coming on Unscrewed. Thank you so much for having me. Quarantine to quarantine. Quarantine to quarantine. I mean, this is how I've always done my show. So this is like the one thing in my life that has not changed is that I'm recording this on my bedroom floor. It's kind of comforting, actually, when you when you asked me to do it. I was like, oh, yeah, this will just be like being on Jacqueline's show. Regular schmegular. This is not a thing I have adapted in any way. We're going to get into a whole bunch of shit. But before we do that, what's been making you happy this week? Well, I just binged The Mandalorian. We binged that and we binged Fosse Burden. That's hella good. Ooh, but I he- haven't watched that. Oh, yeah. I think you'll love it. Okay. What is the best sex advice you ever received? Solo sex is sex. And that like sex with sex toys is sex. And that the experiences that you have, the arousal that you have, the orgasms that you have with objects like vibrators and dildos or sleeves, like that is sex and that there's not something that another human being there makes it more like legit or a higher level. Like obviously there are potential things that you can experience with another person that like solo sex doesn't, but it's not like one is higher achievement than the other. What has been making you maddest or saddest about the sexual culture lately? The Trump administration's U S small business administration explicitly disqualifies any sex worker or sex oriented business who may derive income from, quote, presenting live performances of a prurient sexual nature or, quote, through the sale of products or services or the presentation of any depictions or displays of a prurient sexual nature. So basically, the upshot of this is that if your small business is related to sexuality in any way, then you cannot get help from the government. 
And then that further marginalizes people whose work is devoted to sexuality, which includes sexual education, which obviously is always going to be more marginalized if it has to do with sexuality or sexual identities that are seen as transgressive, like queer sexualities, trans sexualities, kink sexualities, non-monogamous sexualities. But also these small businesses, most of which are small businesses, let's be real, are also really essential to us surviving and thriving in quarantine, right? Like we're also talking about sex shops that sell dildos and vibrators and sleeves like you were just talking about and folks who do sexual entertainment that you could partake of over video or audio or, you know, like that a lot of these entertainments, quote unquote, are are pretty essential right now. And that's also something we're going to talk about. Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about that. Yes. Yeah, no kidding. All right. What is a myth about sex that you used to believe but don't believe anymore? I used to believe that everything would go my way. I think that I have underestimated the role of feelings in relationships. You can't always process everything into what you want it to be. And lastly, who's somebody who's doing brave work to unscrew the sexual culture that you want to give a shout out to? So there's this organization called Hacking Hustling. Hacking Hustling is a group of sex workers and sex work allies who are in coalition with law experts and tech experts trying to call attention to the ways that freedom of expression with regards to sexuality, kind of like what we were just talking about with the stimulus packages that businesses that talk about sexuality might not be able to get you know, they're calling attention to the ways that that those rights are being threatened and doing a lot of also like education for sex workers to, you know, cope with and navigate um, the changing landscape. And they've done conferences here in New York. They did one at Harvard. And now they're they're doing more of them online. So I would definitely check out hackinghustling.com as a hub of really good grassroots activism work by sex workers for sex workers, but also for everyone because sex workers are the canaries in the coal mine of sexual freedom. Amazing. I actually haven't heard of Hacking Hustling. So awesome tip for me too. Yeah, you should check them out. I am going to. So as you know, because I've been haranguing you about this for months, I've asked you here to talk about your fucking brilliant essay for Believe Me, which is called Yeah, You Like That, Don't You? <laughs> Possibly my favorite title of any essay in the book. I I will say I am very proud of speaking of I know we were we were talking earlier about dirty talk and how I am a dirty talk expert and uh it was fun to come up with section titles for this essay that were all based in the sort of classic dirty talk that you hear in porn like yeah you like that don't you and that feels so fucking good and don't stop don't you ever fucking stop and right there yeah right there and look at that that's so fucking hot i can't believe it and yeah just like that (laughs) it's so great i also have like really lovely memories of like laying on my couch and having like an hour-long conversation with you talking out the ideas in the essay and i just had so much fun working with you on it before we have a love fest about it we should let the folks know what it's about because as you know because i've been grousing about it 
none of my interviewers who wanted to do press about the book have wanted to talk about your essay, which is a crying shame. Why do you think that is? Because it's provocative and I thought that would make them actually want to talk about it. But I think they are too provoked, Tina. Yeah. And, you know, the thing that is so amazing about this book, if I may, believe me, how trusting women can change the world. Oh, oh you may. <laughs> is that there are so many different kinds of perspectives on so many different topics in this book. And I feel like whatever you think your interest is in this book, you're going to learn about something that you probably are not already a specialist in. The fact that I wrote about porn is just actually a sign that the idea that I based my entire career on, which is that if you say sex and then everyone looks at you and you say, now that I have your attention, like is actually, that's actually a myth about sex that I used to believe that I don't believe anymore. <laughs> it's true. I feel like in this book, it's the opposite thing, which is like, people are coming for the discourse about changing rape culture and I've inserted discourse about porn into it and made them read it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's about porn and it's about, it's really about pleasure as labor. Yes, so let's talk about it. So I think that like in the context of other Me Too discourse, what I wanted to do was write an essay that talks about how Me Too is all about exposing the ways that sexual power is brought inappropriately into most workplaces. And a sex work labor context, whether it's a porn set a hotel room where sex is being negotiated between adults or a BDSM dungeon. Those are spaces in which the terms of sexual power exchange are being negotiated along with things of value, often cash, sometimes other things of value such as shelter or protection. It's obvious to me as somebody who has worked in the sex industry and then also covered the sex industry that a way of understanding sexual power exchange and how it's negotiated and when it's appropriate and when it's inappropriate in a space of labor, like that we should look to the people who have been negotiating that and what we've learned, like that just seems like really, really obvious to me. But I guess people are too uncomfortable. I don't know. You tell that me. That was actually the first revelation, the first wisdom that really gave me my click moment about sex work in general. It was, I've told the story before possibly to you, but it was in like the early 2000s and I was hosting a series of conversations for what used to be a feminist bookstore, long story, blah, 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 blah. And I hosted Audacia Ray, who is at the time publishing Spread, which was a magazine, a physical magazine, by and about sex workers and sex work. I'm embarrassed to admit I said this, but I was like, I just feel like, you know, if, if women had other options economically, like they wouldn't choose this, you know, like and that sort of argument. 
And she basically was like, in, in a firm but kind way, was like, maybe that's true for some or many of these women, but that's not the world we're currently living in. And so we should pay attention to the laborers about the terms of their labor, right? Like we should, we should listen to labor, which is like a bedrock progressive principle as we stand with labor, right? 100%. And it was that moment, I remember being like, oh, duh. Like, and being like, no, I totally get it now. And it just shifted my entire perspective and understanding about sex work was like, we should center the voices of labor. Yeah, you know, I do remember you telling me that story when we were on the Laura Flanders show together. And and Laura Flanders, who I, I respect, asked me a question that many leftist intellectuals have asked me and have asked others, would sex work exist in a post-capitalist society? Now, I am literally a writer of dystopia and like futuristic sci-fi. And I actually am even down to like take that question at face value my answer to that question by the way is totally <laughs> like sex but it would be paid would, better sex work would totally i mean in, in a post-capitalist society would people be getting paid i mean we, we gotta we gotta define our terms it would like, be valued better right we could talk about what a sex work utopia would look like but you actually brought up to me that point that audacia ray had made and I have adopted it, which is interrupting those lines of questioning as ultimately being intellectually dishonest because it's like, that's not what the conversation is about in the sex worker rights movement right now. The conversation is we are entitled to be at the center of the conversations about defining the terms of our labor and defining what our rights are and should be. And we have a lot to fucking fight against and a lot to fucking correct in our current capitalist society. Utopias are great to think about, but the moment that those conversations become a distraction or a justification for discomfort, we'd like to talk about a world where like things are are different. And like, this is the fucking world that we're trying to survive and thrive in right now. So like, let's fucking talk about that. Yes. So let's talk about the relationship of pleasure and sexual labor. Cause I mean, I just feel like your essay is so groundbreaking in that I've never read an analysis like this before, possibly because so much of sex work discourse gets stuck at the 101 level, right? Like, that's true. Is right. Like, we have the right to exist, right? We have the right to not be abused and criminalized, right? Like, it's like even, even, you know, sex work as a political term, it's a, it's a term that comes from the sex worker rights movement and was coined by Scarlett Harlot. Uh, herself a, a prostitute and sex worker rights advocate, just to emphasize the fact that sex work is work and that it is labor and that it should be talked yeah. about in the context But of just the term labor. itself is contested. Exactly. And so I think that the conversation gets stuck at that level so often that we don't have these nuanced conversations like the one that you have in your essay about the way that especially female sex workers are required not just to perform the labor of sex work, but to perform pleasure at the same time. So part of what I'm critiquing in this essay is the expectation, not only that we are performing pleasure, but that we are experiencing pleasure. Yes, actually, yeah, I I said that totally wrong, right? Performance of pleasure is suspect, right? You have to have authentic pleasure in your labor or else it's not valid. Yeah, Right. And so 
that is definitely something that I'm critiquing and trying to problematize even within the sex positive and feminist porn movements and cultures that I have absolutely been a part of and that I modeled my career after and a lot of my philosophical, intellectual and political approaches to sexuality um, after those movements, you know, there definitely has been a sort of like swing in the opposite direction in order to transform the characterization of all sex work as exploitative or all prostitution as coercion and or all prostitution as trafficking or all prostitution as violence as 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 violence against women we need to emphasize that it is empowering empowerment being a word that you have worked so hard to to critique uh, your work which i very much appreciate and that it's empowering and also that we love it. And like, I have totally been someone in my early days of sex work. And just to do a one-on-one moment for a second, sex work as a political term encompasses all kinds of prostitution, all kinds of porn making, all kinds of fetish work, all kinds of technology mediated sex work, like being a phone sex operator, being a cam model, um, you know, being a stripper, being a dancer all that kind of stuff. And we can talk about what does and does not fall under the umbrella of sex work that, you know, much conversation has, has happened about that. But in general, that's what I mean when I, when I use that term, which is why I'll talk about my work as a dominatrix in the same breath as my work as a pornographer in the same breath, like collectively in terms of movement building with people who have done work that I haven't done, like prostitution, like full service prostitution and stripping, right? So we're all, we're all comrades. Anyway, I am totally somebody that like early in my sex work career in my like early mid twenties was like, well, you know, I'm just like such a horny slut. So I figured like I might as well be paid for it. Mm -hmm. Like that's something you hear all the time. Um, It's something you hear a lot that I hear a lot, especially from gay men um, uh, who are sex workers um, where there's a little bit more of like a gray area sometimes between defining yourself as a slut and, and a sex worker, but that's maybe another conversation, but like that idea that, and this is this is something that we talked about a lot in the feminist porn movement of the idea of like authentic orgasms. And it became a marketing term, you know, and it is still a marketing term. And you see it in even like listicles on like women's magazine websites of like how to tell if like porn is OK for you to watch. And it's like, well, are the women in it being empowered and are they having like real authentic orgasms? And it's like the expectation oh my god i can't imagine anything they would want make me want to come less than like my payment depending on it like yeah it's a lot of fucking pressure and the idea that you know again we need to talk about sex work in labor terms in order to sort of dispel these these biases or preconceived notions that we have about the intersection of sex and work so we need to talk about producers and consumers we need to talk about like the you know supply and demand we need to talk about um managers and laborers and uh you know how money flows through all of those transactions hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Well, it strikes me that the only I was about to say, like, we don't expect authentic pleasure from like any other laborers, right? Like, we just expect them to do a good job. Um, but but we do expect that from, to a certain extent, from servers and other service workers, which are who are also almost always coded female jobs. Yes, absolutely. You took the words right out of my mouth. A really good analogy to start to wrap your mind around this, if you have never given this any thought before, is the moments that you have had a server in a restaurant or maybe a bartender who was able, while they were on shift and working, to make you feel as if they give a shit about you and your problems, that they care and specifically, like, those jobs as opposed to, like, a therapist whose literal job is to be trained in, like, how to provide you with emotional support and guidance. Like, ostensibly, the job of a server is to bring you your food, but you know the fe- – most people know the feeling about, like, how – easily they are duped into thinking that the waitress thinks that they're special well and and i am not above being like oh i like her she took really good care of me i'm gonna tip her extra right yeah. and well, first of all we should be tipping everybody 20 percent 20 percent 20 percent as a baseline yes. it has been my job for many years in many contexts to to perform that emotional labor, to perform that kind of attention, to perform that kind of bedside manner, if you will, to evoke another service profession of caregivers and medical professionals. I have done that so many times and I can spot it happening when people are doing it to me, but if they do it well enough that it actually does have an emotional effect yeah. on me, I'm like, well done. Like, just because I'm a con artist doesn't mean that I don't enjoy being conned. I can like sense that it's happening and still enjoy it and reward someone and be like, Ooh, well done. You like got one over on me. That's not easy to do. And I don't want to make it sound like it is a con, like it's deception. It's a, it's, it's, it, it's something that people want. People want, as my friend Jack, the stripper says, people want to be taken for a ride. And that's why I really try to emphasize the word entertainment. Yeah. Nowadays, when, when I talk about sexual labor, because people do have a context for 
like when they go to Broadway, that they are going to be transformed by people who are able to be totally present while they like act out human emotion, while they sing, while they dance, right? And But you um, pay a lot of fucking money for that. You pay a lot of money for that. And to just like wind this back a little bit. Yeah. Part of what I wanted to critique in this essay is the unique expectation that we place on sex workers whose lives are already so marginalized because of the political identity of the work that they do. They were also on top of all of that expecting to hold a feminist card hostage until you can prove that you that your work is empowering or that your ability to access fucking like government stimulus packages, your ability to access services, your ability to like be able to demonstrate to someone that the work that you have done was not exploitative and coercive. You need to be able to like demonstrate that you enjoyed like every single second of that. Um, And that's not fucking fair. That's one of the most important things in your essay is like, by requiring this, we're drawing the line of where exploitation starts in the wrong place. Right. When you don't listen to labor, you're actually drawing the line about exploitation in the wrong place and you're you're endangering and actually abusing people by doing it. In other industries, in like non-sex work industries, something that I'm very aware of now that I've done so much work around labor within the sex industry is that I've noticed this thing where managers in other industries like use terms of family loyalty to describe Uh, uh and i think that that is so fucked up and so exploitative and speaking of con artists that is like basically how cults function (laughs) um like you know i've gone on the record saying that i think that like you know all families are cults uh and uh, you know if all businesses are are families then all businesses are cults but like the idea of saying like well our team is all really a family. Like that really just says to me that there is a manager who is going to try to expect that people need to like not have boundaries around their work, to not have like work-life boundaries, you know? And that's something that we see everywhere. Before we run out of time, I'd love for you to connect the dots between this idea about why and how we expect female sex workers to be experiencing authentic pleasure in their work at all times when they're doing it. Um, and things like FOSTA SESTA and, and, and sort of how that in a really practical way negatively impacts sex workers, like beyond the mind fucked of it all. Yeah. I mean, part of the other thing that I was really excited to have a platform to critique is, is something that I, have noticed in a lot of sort of mainstream writing about the sex industry and particularly porn, which is this idea between what is real and what is fake. And the fact that I, that I really wanted to explore that and and critique that was what sort of first came up for me when I saw your call for submissions about an anthology about like believing women, because this idea of like whether porn is real or fake is very insidiously connected to ideas of like the distinction between consensual sexual expression and trafficking and 
trafficking is a boogeyman that is used and really weaponized by coalitions of Christian conservatives, the, the religious right, second wave feminists, which to be clear is, you know, a, a branch of feminism that sees all sex work as exploitative and has a lot of other ideas that I disagree with that we could go into, you know, counting among them many sex work luminaries like Gloria Steinem and Andrea Dworkin and Catherine McKinnon. And um, they use the boogeyman of trafficking of coerced labor to push through bills like FOSTA-SESTA and now this new bill called Earn It, which have a chilling effect on free speech for all people. And in the particular case of FOSTA-SESTA and Earn It, this is about freedom of expression to talk about sexuality online. And to be clear, this is for all people, whether they are sex workers, have ever been sex workers, intend to ever do sex work, FOSTA-SESTA has affected you and the Earn It Act may affect you just in the sense that any place that even adults are conversing about sexuality could be seen as trafficking and platforms can be held liable. And by platforms, I mean like internet platforms like Instagram, which is owned by Facebook or Craigslist or any apps, basically like software tech companies can be held liable for conversations about sexuality that can be seen to be contributing to human trafficking. And so is this, like, a, the, this is a New York bill, right? Earn it? No, this is a federal bill. It's federal. Oh, my God. Yeah. So anyway, um, so going back to what we were talking about before, just to sort of see if I can tie that knot, like I'm trying with the essay to connect the mistrust that we have for sex workers, many of whom are women, uh, definitely the least trusted of sex workers are, are women, when we say that we shouldn't have to demonstrate that we are experiencing pleasure on the job in order to be deserving of rights, that our orgasms can be a performance for the sake of entertainment and that that doesn't have to be real, that that distinction between like what is real and what is fake is connected to the mistrust of sex workers when institutions like the federal government say, we don't trust you to make the distinction between real labor that you are choosing to do because we live in a capitalist society versus uh, I'm not going to call trafficking fake labor. Um, uh, exploitation. You know, like yeah. E exploitation, coerced labor. When sex workers are not trusted to define the difference, complicated though it may be, then it all gets conflated. And then the rights of literally every human on the planet to express their sexuality is compromised. So when you don't trust women, then you don't get to talk about sex the way you want to. And you may take for granted how much you like doing that now. But if it was taken away, you'd be mad. And then we would say, fuck you for not listening to us. We've been screaming about this for a long time. In sum, believe sex workers and call your Congress people and tell them not to support the EARN Act. So if we're going to block this, it's going to be in the House. Call your Congress people. Call your Congress people. And listen to sex workers. Sex workers are loudmouths on the internet. I mean, that's part of why our ability to congregate and express ourselves online is so scary because sex workers have an unprecedented amount of online megaphones to talk about what our concerns are 
to express like what rights we want and separate what is bullshit white knight rescue industry from like what we are actually asking for and what the organizations that serve us are really asking for listen to us like while you are going to the farmer's market of adult entertainment and buying your porn directly from sex workers, you can also follow them on social media and see what we are saying. Most sex workers that are in my networks anyway, are both talking about their activism and the circumstances of their real lives, as well as marketing and promoting the beautiful work that we do to bring you pleasure. So Listen to us. We are loud. It's easy. And buy and read, believe me. Yes, buy and read, believe me. That is one way that you can <laughs> listen to a loud mouth. So the essay is kind of sexy, don't you think? Oh, I think the essay is very sexy. I love I think it. That maybe that's yes. why people are uncomfortable with it, because they're like, can I be... Is this smart or is it sexy? Because it can be both. Like, is, is this theory? Because I'm sort of feeling tingly. Yeah. <laughs> That's the Tina Horn magic brand. Right that there. is totally your brand. <laughs> well, thank you for giving me a platform. Oh my God. Literally anytime. I adore the fact you. That people are, the fact that, well, I adore you too. And the fact that people don't want to talk about it is all the more reason that I am grateful to have the platform at all because maybe people are secretly reading it with flashlights under the covers at night after they have talked about all of the other wonderful essays that I'm glad that people are talking about. And where can people follow you online and hear your loud voice elsewhere? So I am on Twitter and Instagram at Tina Horns Ass, T-I-N-A-H-O-R-N-S-A-S-S. My website is tinahorn.net. I also have a website for my podcast, Why Are People Into That?, you can listen to Why Are People Into That, which is a totally indie conversation show about sex, kink, gender, and love that is very sex work forward, slut forward, queer forward. So fun. That Jacqueline has been on a few times. You can listen to that wherever you pod. My science fiction sex rebel comic book series, Safe Sex, which is stylized as SFSX, is available wherever comics are sold. You can pre-order the trade which is the the trade paperback which is the collection of the first seven issues that have come out already that sort of comprise like the first sort of season of the series if you will you can pre-order that from your local comic book store which i highly encourage you to do and i am doing all kinds of stuff all the time and that's what i do that's who i am and I'm on Jack's show a lot, as often yes. as I can. As often as you'll say yes. And you can find me all the regular places. I'm Jacqueline F. on Twitter, Jacqueline Effable on Instagram. My website is JacquelineFriedman.com. And when I can finally do live events again, they will be updated there. You can find this podcast wherever fine podcasts are available or part of the ACAST network. But you can find us also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you like to listen. Unscrewed is produced by yours truly, Jacqueline Friedman, and edited by the fantabulous Natalia Rodriguez. Our in and out music is by the Pink Tiles, and our cover art is by Nicole Dodonna. Until next week, I am wishing you safe and happy sex lives. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.